Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. They called from Peru, Australia, New York, uh, Brazil, Chile, like ESPN. And I was like, what is this? It's, it's just a gay football player. What is the big deal? Welcome to Coffee and Football. My name is Sebastian Alvarado, and I'm the host of this long-form Interview South podcast where each week I sit down with some of the most interesting and influential people involved in the game. The purpose of these conversations is to dig deep and get to know the person behind the title. In this week's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Anton Hussein, or Anton Heisen, if you prefer the English pronunciation. He's a Swedish football player and media personality who currently plays in Division 2 there. He gained global attention and instant celebrity when he came out as gay in 2011. You may wonder... What's so remarkable about that? Well, it is a huge deal in a sport driven by traditional values and a macho culture that dominates both the locker room and the media environment. When Anton made his announcement, he was only the second high-profile player globally to come out as gay. This is an amazing, open-hearted conversation with somebody who has made a big impact, inspired thousands of people, and made his mark on the football world. So without further ado, Let's roll the tape. Welcome, Anthony Cien, to the uh, Coffee and Football podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? Doing great. Since the theme of this uh, pod is... Uh, Coffee and football. How do you drink your coffee? Uh, coffee latte. I could do a normal coffee with milk. Um, not too strong. But we tend to have very strong coffee in this country. Where do you typically get your coffee from in, in Gothenburg? Uh, well, we do have a normal place called Dahl's Bakery, uh, where I live on my street. But I usually get my coffee latte at Espresso House. It's very good. I love it a lot. What are you currently working on? I understand uh, that you are a multitasker. I do a lot of, you know, lectures at school, you know, about being yourself, being brave, and, you know, don't take bullshit from people. Just be yourself and do what you want to do. Um, you know, self-independent. I do TV shows, um, you know, a lot in the entertainment business, a lot of TV, as I said. So I try to combine that with the football, which is, uh, it's kind of hard sometimes. I mean, football has to be sacrificed sometimes since, you know, entertainment business is obviously better paid here. So, uh, but yeah, that's what usually happens. And, and so far, you, you kind of got to adapt to their schedule versus the other way around. Exactly, exactly. It is hard. Um, and, you know, in my situation where I don't get that much money, Sometimes you have to have entertainment business uh, jobs. You have to have a normal job and then football, which is like three things you have to fit into everything. So sometimes it tends to be hard. Really interesting. I didn't know that you're doing these lectures at, uh, at school. Mm -hmm. uh, how did that come about? And, uh, and, and what does that typically kind of look like? What happened was, uh, I believe it or not, I'm not the one who loves to stand and talk to millions of people. I'm kind of stage. You love to talk quite a bit, though. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the thing. Like, I I love to talk. I love to speak. I could stand in front of a million people and just talk now. Yeah. But when I prepare something, it's so scary. I can't do it. So I tend to have a lecture where 
I get interviewed and then I just start speaking my mind and just say everything. How do you typically prepare for that? Like what, what goes into that? Well, I pretty much just speak from my heart. I don't really prepare myself for that, but I just go into my mind and be like, hey, just be open mm-hmm. and just talk freely and speak to these kids or if they're older people, doesn't really matter because they want to hear it from your heart. They don't want to hear like some kind of stuff that you've read from a book or like anywhere else. You just straight give them to, you know, you give your info and what you've, you know, achieved and what you've learned and what you've been through and tell them straight to them because that's what they believe in and that's what they want to hear. And are these like kids, all ages, all All backgrounds, all neighborhoods? Absolutely. It's everywhere. We have schools in like... uh, bad neighborhoods as they say and good neighborhoods we have uh, companies we have everything i was up in north sweden where we had a problem a couple of years ago with sawmill which is like the native people in sweden how there's racism towards them and and they had been there the entire time and i kind of speak to myself and be like since i'm a gay football player i can relate to that it's like uh you have to always constantly go against people that have some hate against you towards you so racism and homophobia kind of like it works to talk about the same thing so that is kind of the you know subject that i go into sometimes to like you know what just believe in yourself go your own way and you know don't take bullshit you know who you are you should love yourself and you know if you want to be a football player uh, if you want to be a psalm up there that want to live your life after the native you know culture do it if you were to describe to somebody who really has no idea of who you are and what you do, what do you typically say? I mean, I say that I am a entertainment business profiler and a football player because that's what I do. I do both things. Obviously, I'm not just a strictly football player. Um, so I have to say both things. And, you know, if I have a job in between, I'll tell them that too. Just be straight honest. Um, as I do, as, as you said, like multitask. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, what are some of the uh, entertainment types of jobs that you're currently working on um, or, or been currently doing? We do have some pitches that are, you know, right now that we are discussing to do this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you say we, what do you mean by that? Like my agent. I have an agent in yeah. Stockholm. She uh, she works with models around the country. and She has pretty big profiles. So she helps me out to get everything. We get emails back and forth to see and discuss like everything, see what kind of idea it is, how long the pitch has been discussed and what channel and whatnot, if it's TV, that is, or lectures. Um, but I've recently done things like, for an example, lectures at school, as I said, but maybe Dancing with the Stars is one of the you know biggest things that I've done. How did that come about? Dad was supposed to do it. And then he said no the first time in 2012. And then I said, ah, what the hell? I have nothing to lose. I'll just do it. And then we went so all the you, way and won you, it. you got a question. Like, you yeah, got a request. I got oh. a question. But I, 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 I said no, like, two and three times, I think. And then the last time I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll just do it. Yeah. So we did it. And it, we went really long and won it. I mean, what can I say? We, we won it. And then last year, we did it again. It was like a 10-year anniversary show. And, I mean, I got to be honest. Like, they pay well. I mean, it's got to think about myself. I have to, you know, make a living out of something. So, you know, of course, I'm going to be in the entertainment business. It, it pays well. And it's fun. And I, I meet a lot of, you know, fun people and you discover so much. I heard you're a pretty good, damn good dancer too. <laughs> it works. All it other works. things aside. I've, I've learned a lot and I've had great teachers, but it's it's fun. It's fun to dance. I mean, it's good music. What, were you a good dancer before getting in or? I'd say that I had a kind of a rhythm, but I didn't know that I can do these things and these steps because there are so much more things you need to think about than, you know, outside of the box when you're not doing the show that you don't think about. These steps and arms and everything, it's, it's, it's chaos. Are there similarities with how you approach uh, football and, and all the training you go through Absolutely. there? Uh, dance training is 10 times worse. For instance, you do training nine hours a day and you have to have these strict lines and you work with your whole body. I mean, mainly football, you run and you use your feet. I mean, in this, you use everything. You lift, you spin, you do hands, you do feet, stomach, everything. It's kind of hard to breathe at some points. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's fun. And then I played in Gothenburg at the same time. So I flew from Gothenburg to Stockholm 94 times. We have it on like a paper. So I flew 94 times back and forth to do both things at the same time. Wow. So it's a very hectic schedule. It's a 45, 50-minute flight, but, I mean, the traveling kind of breaks you down sometimes. So I was kind of burned out. And were were you able to keep up with football during that time? Not really, but I was so in shape. Like, it was ridiculous. I was almost so much in shape that I could injure myself, that I was overly, you know, in shape or some, if you can say that. 
But um, yeah, I mean, I went into training or practice, jumped in and, and then games. Of course, I would be benched or not play. But at the times I were benched, I just went in and just ran. Um, I wanted to ask you, what's, uh, what's a typical day for you um, from the moment you get up and let's say the first 90 minutes uh, in the morning? Uh, mainly just wake up, have, you know, take a shower. When do you get up? That's very, very, like today. I we, we, like, we, we spoke, I called you <laughs> at about 12 and you were just about to get some breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Today I went up at 10.30, had a shower, had a coffee, uh, played a little bit on my Wii U that I just got, had some breakfast, went over here. But right now I'm currently um, looking for a new job that I can do partly with football. Um, but I'm, I'm having a lot of, you know, entertainment stuff that will come up, but it's not until next month. So I've got to have like a job just next to this. So right now it's pretty much like just the first 90 minutes is waking up, breakfast, coffee, maybe, you know, play a little Wii U or like meetings or anything. I have some meetings coming up, coming up next week, but. And currently you live in Gothenburg. Yes, I live in Gothenburg. In 2011, you, you gained uh, both national and, I guess, global mm -hmm. uh, attention And yeah. when you came out as, as gay. And, and perhaps not even that being the biggest thing, but coming out as gay as uh, being an elite-level athlete mm -hmm. in, a, in a team sport, and specifically mm -hmm. in this case in football. But I would say probably it goes across all sports, yeah. right, that it was such a big thing. And mm -hmm according to at least unofficial records being sort of the the second player mm -hmm. uh, i guess in the world coming out first one being fashion in, yeah. in in england uh back in the i guess he played in the 80s and then in the 90s that it took all of this time and and then uh, you came out with it and and let's just talk about the announcement for a second you know who were the first people that you told and then how did this come about of telling it at a national scale from what i understand it was announced with a Uh, very renowned Swedish football magazine offside that ran a long story on you. Um, and I guess that's where, where it kind of started. Yeah, so how it all started from the beginning was that I was almost already out for friends and family. Uh, I came out to my cousin at first. Uh, my cousin's also gay, but yeah, she's a girl, so we came out kind of towards each other, and, and, and she said, well, go on, do what you got to do. So it all kind of started family-wise and family um, friends-wise. And then since my dad already knew, he had offside over for an interview with him. And in our family, we speak freely about everything. We just talk about everything. And it just came up like, oh, well, Anton, he's just at a gay lecture or something like that. And they're like, wait, he's gay? And he's like, yeah. And then he didn't think about more about that, obviously, because we're open about it. And then I got in a letter from offside saying, hey, we heard from your dad that you're an open, you know, gay football player for your family and friends, not everyone, obviously, but sounds like a great story we would like to help you out with and, and, and it can inspire other people and help people because this is a, you know, a subject that needs to be discussed. And, you know, I thought it was a great idea. I'm, and I'm like the perfect person to do it in that way because I don't really give a shit what people think or what they say. So I didn't really think twice about it. I was like, yeah. Were, were you as strong personality and confidence-wise already then? Yeah. Because you yeah. were, at the time, you were 20, 19, yeah, 20. 20? I think it was yeah. 1920. Yeah. I'd say 2021, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I've always kind of been that way. I, you know, I've become stronger every year that has been, you know, coming up. But at that time, I was like, well, you know what? This is not going to hurt me in any way because I don't really give a shit. I'm just going to do it. And if it helps people, hell yeah. If that inspires people, sure. So then I said to my mom and dad, hey, I'm going to do this. And, you know, my mom was obviously the protecting mother. She was like, it could be consequences. You need to be ready for anything. You're going to get hate. I'm like, well, fuck that. I don't give a shit about haters. I'm going to do my own thing. They don't like it. It's not my problem. I don't know them. Uh, and I don't need negativity in my life. Like, like if you're going to be like that, I, you're not going to be in my life anymore. Obviously. So easy. Uh, and then I called him up. And we met for a cup of coffee. We talked it out and basically started it in December 2010, it might have been, or something. Because 2011 was when it came out, I think. So kept going. And we met each other and we talked. It was me, uh, Anders Bengtsson, and another guy, I think, that had, you know, the photo, 
yeah, he was the photo guy. Yeah. So it was two guys and it was me and we did this into like a project and we just thought, hey, it's going to be big for like two weeks or a month in Sweden, like Aftonbladet, our own papers. But damn, I was working at Volvo at that time. And dude, like they called from Peru, Australia, New York, uh, Brazil, Chile, like ESPN. And I was like, what is this? It's, it's just a gay football player. What is the big deal? And I was in League Four at that time with Utsikten. That was the year that we won at the same time. Um, so yeah, it, it was just, it went so global. It was calls everywhere. And it's like, how does it feel to be the first only gay footballer? I'm like, I don't think I'm the first one. It was Justin Fashioner that was first one, but it feels like nothing. I'm just a normal person and I'm just playing. So it went extremely huge for no reason, I think. But I mean, obviously it needs to be discussed and that is why it got so huge. Um, so it went from just friends and family to uh, Offside Magazine, to the world in Sweden. So it, it, it kind of escalated very quickly, and I was not even ready for that. And, you know, to be fair, it was like 95% positive, you know, uh, reflex on people, and, and, and they took it really well. Even my, you know, friends and teammates and everyone said, it's amazing. I mean, I had Sean Avery, really huge hockey profile in, in New York, he was like, wow, this is brave. I want to be his friend. This is this is just amazing. We need this in the hockey world. And I mean, it, it kept on going. I got mentioned by Pep Guardiola once, I think. That was like, everybody needs a guy like that in the team. So it went global, which I think was good, but I wasn't ready for that at all. Like, at yeah, all. Yeah, I was, I was just going <laughs> to ask that. Like, how do you even Shockful. anticipate? Like, did, but did it ever come, like, when you, even when you, when you were working with the guys from, from offside, did Did it ever come up? Hey, no. what if this turns into absolutely not? We were discussing like our local like magazines or papers for like a month. Not even that. Uh, but wow, it went extremely global. We had like every week, every day, we had at least four to five, you know, uh, interviewers, photographers, everything, journalists from all over the world that traveled to come see us in my little club in Division What Two. In Sweden, I mean, come on. So it, it went, it went global. And how, how did you handle that? What, were you the only one? Did you have anybody to sort of hop in and take the calls and answer the emails? They did. Or? They did. Okay. Um, they took care of mostly everything. It was great help. I, I mean, without them, it would be hard. I mean, they are the ones that pretty much set up everything for me to get an agent and everything because obviously they got calls from everyone. And there was also the reason why I had my agent was because. Dean and Dan, I think, Caton, that owns D-Squared, wanted to have me in a modeling show in Vienna for an HIV and AIDS gala in Vienna. So it was like, just hearing that was like huge for me. Like, why am I doing this? And then they called them and they redirected them to Slatan because he played in Italy at that time. And then his wife contacted me and it was like, it all went around in my head. Like, it was just so much. So it was, it was I took it really well and I think I played it out really well. And I was ready for it, and I am, I'm still ready. I'm that kind of person that I take things lightly, and I'm not scared, you know, of new challenges. But did you at any point feel like any kind of stress or, or anxiety over it? I mean, sometimes it's like it can get stressful, and sometimes it could be like up and down for me. But at the same time, you got to think like you got to appreciate everything that you can get. I mean, not everyone can get that kind of stuff and, and see these kind of people and experience everything. You should be happy for everything you get. So, I mean, obviously, everyone feels stress in their life sometimes. But, uh, I mean, you just have to take it and move on. We're all humans. So, Do you feel like there is any kind of responsibility that comes with that? Because, obviously, not everybody, or I would say a, a minority, is as strong as you are in terms of handling it and mm -hmm. talking about it. And you're very open about it. Um, but I'm sure there is both people in the general public, but also a lot of athletes who see you as a huge role model. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like you have any kind of, I don't know, responsibility? Like, I'm just feeling like, yeah. you know, th th there's got to mm -hmm. be, you know, it feels like there's some weight that kind of comes with that. Because you have a lot of, mm. you know, insecure, young people. Not everybody lives in an open society like like, like Sweden. Mm -hmm. um, I've yeah. Sometimes I've I've felt like wow, is this only me that has to talk about? It? Is like, is this only me? But at, you know, at later times, I'm like, no, not really. Like, I do what I do. I say what I want, and I will 
you know, try to do my best to be that role model. If people sees me as that, but it, it feels great to be it. I mean, obviously it's great if someone sees me like that, but I just, you know, live my life, do what I want to do. And, you know, if that can inspire people to just be themselves, it, it's amazing. But I've never felt any stress and felt like I have to be something. But of course, I want to encourage people and it's not easy for people. And some people are obviously from not, you know, very acceptable, you know, places on this planet and cultures. So, uh, you know, it's always that you have to be there for people. So that's what I like. I mean, I'd love to encourage people to be able to be themselves, even in the most, you know, strangest, most complicated circumstances. Do you have a lot of uh, people reaching out to you or after that, that contacted you and asked for advice? And it keeps coming, it keeps coming. And, you know, I can't help everyone, you know, and and it's it's really amazing if I could. But I mean, I do what I I can. I say what I say to them and and I speak from my heart and and it helps, you know, a lot of people. And you still get like texts and and you know emails where they're saying you're the reason why I came out, you're the reason why I changed to take a U-turn in my life because I was always in a bad time where I wanted to kill myself or something like that. So it can get really, really deep sometimes. I am not the deepest person. That is why I always put the cards on the table and tell you exactly how I feel and I will tell you how it is. And and sometimes it really helps people. And, you know, they just really need to be themselves and, you know, love themselves. And that is the hardest thing in life to, you know, accept yourself and really love yourself for what you believe in and what you like. You know what I mean? It's not easy for everyone. Yeah. What's the most uh, unexpected thing that has uh, happened in, in in this journey in the past few years? I mean, you get you get some weird, um, you know, emails sometimes or, you know, approaches. I was in London and someone said, I could pay you a thousand quid to have sex with me with a ball, <laughs> with a football in between. I'd had girls that are like twins and they say, you come home with us and we do this. And like, it's it's, it's shameful things. Which is which is kind of funny that happens, but you know, I was in Vienna at that Life Ball Gala Award, and I met like Janet Jackson, Bill Clinton, uh, Bruce Willis' wife that I still have a little bit of contact today, Emma Hemming Willis. So it's like you see positive things and you see negative things and you see funny things, and all of it is like unexpected, really like strange things that you don't really think that you will experience in life. But it's good. I mean, not everyone gets you know that kind of you know experience. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Um, I, w- I want to get back to uh, kind of where, where things are at today in, in just a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, but I want to want to bring you back a little bit and, and kind of start from the beginning. So mm-hmm. you you were born in 1990 in yes, uh, Liverpool. Liverpool. Why Liverpool? Dad was my father. Glenn was playing in uh, Liverpool FC at that time. He just signed, uh, and they actually won the league that year. The year before I was born. Actually, the same year, but I was born later. I was born in December. So it was, you know, no time, obviously, to go back to Sweden and do it. So therefore, I was born in England. And yeah, Liverpool in 1990 got dual citizenship. Uh, We moved back when I was like two or three. Can't really remember. Um, I had to start an English school here in Gothenburg to learn Swedish, actually. So Swedish is one of the hardest languages, like, ever. It's ridiculously hard to learn. Uh, but that's the story. So I kind of grew up in Sweden, but I had the whole English, you know, roots in me that, you know, I took with me. And um, 
Okay, so you grew up in Sweden in, in Gothenburg. Your dad came back to, mm-hmm. to play some football here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, was it an obvious choice for you to become a footballer? Absolutely not. I mean, the way they raised us is the way that you can, you know, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. We won't, like, stop you. Uh, I did everything. I mean, I did gymnastics for a week. I was like, no, this is boring. I did uh, hockey for a day, and I said, oh, shit, it's too many. It's too much gear on. It's too this doesn't work. I did handball. I'm like, I don't get these fucking rules. And then football. And I found myself. <laughs> so football was a thing. And obviously I, I got it from dad and my brothers and everything. So it was, it was very, very uh, nice. And it's a good choice. But uh, yeah. And it, I mean, football in this country is pretty big too. So it was good. Who were you in, uh, in school? What kind of person? Yeah. I was, Sometimes a bully, sometimes I was crazy, sometimes I was loving. I was like everything in the same time. Uh, so I wasn't an angel, but sometimes I could be like a really funny and genuine person. So the more, you know, I grew up, the better I got. So I mean, where, where was that? Just give us a bit of the, the environment. It was in Gothenburg where... I started at the English school and then we moved to Torschlanda, which is the team I play for today, that area. Um, was there when I went to like six, then I moved into town to do seven, eight, nine, those classes at some school, which is like a very like posh school here in Gothenburg. And I'm not very posh. I'm very, not hood or street or anything like that, but I'm definitely not posh. I'm like in between. So I get both worlds. So it, that was kind of interesting to have three years at the poshest school in Gothenburg. Uh, didn't really like it, but I learned a lot. It was semi-fun. Then I went to the, you know, uh, high school that's called Katrina Lund, where I met a lot of football players. It was the school for, you know, the National Handball Football Hockey Associations and everything. So um, that was an amazing time, probably the best time during my school years, because those three years was amazing. You you played football at the same time as you went to school. You did football in the morning. You did football in the afternoon. It was great. You learned a lot. You had a lot of fun. And obviously you met so much people, incredible people, and, you know, they all have their own views, and some of them are, like, incredible football players, hockey players, and, you know, they're on sports today, and they're huge at what they do, so, I mean, school has been fun in one way, I think, and I've been a very, you know, I've been a variety of people in myself, so it's it's been a great time in school. What were your uh, dreams? Oh, I wanted to be a football pro for quite a long time, but then, like, I had some injuries, and, 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 A lot of stuff happened, so I don't know. Like, I'm not a big dreamer. I just do stuff, and and, and I'm very spontaneous. That's why I'm not a big dreamer, which sounds pretty bad in one way, but it's really not because spontaneous is, is good too. Just going back on the football, so where did you uh, where did you start playing? Where I, where I started, um, well, I started in Tuschlanda as a kid. Then I went to Lundby which is on the same island. It's called Hissingen, where they both are playing at. And then I went to BK Hacken, which is also on that island of Hissingen, which is a very big elite team today with a huge youth academy and strong, strong players. Very good um, coaching, and the whole organization is just amazing. Um, I got recommended to go play there. And, you know, at first, I never thought I'd get in because I was, I was not a good football player when I was younger. So, but they took me in, And I had a coach called Romeo Virovic, Croatian. And that's when I started to develop my skills. I started to do so much better. Um, so that was probably the best years of my football career when I played at Biki Hacken because I developed all my skills and I just let go of every, everything and just played. And after Biki Hacken, I went to college and I played in North Carolina uh, for two, one and a half year. Went back to Sweden, played for Utsikten, which is in League Three today, they just got relegated from League Two. After that, I went back to the U.S. to play for Myrtle Beach in the um, was that NPSL third league. Yep. Yeah. And now I'm in Tuschlanda, uh, but I'd love to go back to the U.S. and play. I love the American soccer. Why? In what sense? It's just a lot more fun, I guess. It's the the audience is better. I think um, you know, just singing the American national anthem before a game is just awesome. They're just they're just ready, and I mean. They have some differences, how we practice and how they think about soccer in one way or another. But, I mean, I just love it. There's a whole different atmosphere over there.
you mentioned a little bit about obviously your father he was you know a, a great footballer i guess one of the best in in history in this country mm-hmm. he, he is a big uh Uh, also big media profile he's a mm-hmm. celebrity here everybody pretty much knows him more or less you have a couple of brothers who played very high up Tobias who mm-hmm. plays for the Swedish national team mm-hmm. big time professional player he's been in the Prem- Premier League I guess or, mm-hmm. or D1 in, in England um, first question at what point did you realize that you know your dad and I guess in this family in this case is uh, that he was a public figure when you know as a kid when did he kind of realize that probably by like 10 years old that's when you like start you know hearing things and seeing stuff so probably at that age and then it went on and 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 you know obviously more and more papers you see like flyers everywhere where his face is on or like a newspaper or radio tv I'm like what what the hell is he doing on that and then Obviously, they just explained I'm a media person and, you know, I'm a lot in the news and stuff like that. And he's told me about his career and what he's done, which he never really does. He's a very, very humble person. So he would never, you know, brag about anything. But, you know, at some point he has to tell me, I'm your dad. I've done this. So, yeah, obviously I've I've seen that stuff. But it was like 10 years old probably. Did you ever feel any kind of pressure from, from having that type of family legacy and history? I'd say no. People want to put extreme pressure on me. I've I've seen so much stuff like he's the worst football player of the family. I'm like I don't give a shit. Like I just play because it's fun. If I get professional, I get professional. I don't can you know care more. So I've never really had any pressure at all. Has it ever worked in your advantage uh, of, of having the name he's in? Yes, definitely. I mean you can't lie about that. Sometimes names are always the way to get into stuff, but it's also our extreme backlash at some at some points because. They're like, oh, Heisen, oh, I bet he already has his contacts. We don't need to talk to him. Or rather than I had a coach when I played in BK Hacken that said, well, I've never really liked you, Heisen's anyway. Then you're already, basically you're already screwed in the team. You're not going to get a chance. And that's what happened to me. Like I I got played as a center back and, and, and stuff like that. I was like a cone during my trainings with the senior team. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like a striker, left forward, right winger. How am I supposed to show myself? And then they were like, well, you know, it's it's too bad. You don't really get the chance. I'm like, you never gave me one. So what am I supposed to do? Uh, sometimes it's been a backlash, but it's, you know, it's back and forth, good and bad life. Just got to keep on working. If it would have been a different situation, you would have been a slightly different person. Mm-hmm. You know, you come from a renowned family or a family mm-hmm. name. You became almost an instant celebrity when you came out as gay. With that, I mean, you, you have these two sort of things that could have it could have turned extremely negative dependent on how you handle that exactly you could have gotten probably much more hate but the general sentiment seems to be that it's been extremely positive and it's almost been enhanced by these things versus working against you it's also what you just said is like how you handle it media can twist everything yeah i have to also put in that you know we're in sweden media is a little bit slightly nicer here than in other countries england they will slaughter you but if you know how to you know talk to them in the right way and not twist it I think it's important to get that. And that is something that I've learned too. Media, I've learned so much and I've learned how to talk to them in a different way because they can twist everything. It's what controls the world. Like you, it, it, They can say stuff that will totally manipulate people. So I've learned, you know, stuff and it's how you handle it. And that's, you know, basically what I've said and just be honest and say what you want to say, but, you know, be just be respectful, humble, but genuinely say how you feel and that's what i did and it's been great i mean they've taken it the right way and not everyone is going to love you whatever you do whoever you are not everyone's going to love you there's always going to be that person that's going to be irritated at you so screw it just do what you want to do just respect everyone talking a little bit about you know the team environment i guess the locker room mm-hmm, mm-hmm. environment and that's where a lot of banter and you know, a yeah. lot of talk and there's a lot of sort of racial slurps and mm-hmm, jokes and mm-hmm. um How did you manage the, I guess, the adversity? Because you are in a locker room every day. It is a very, uh, quote-unquote, masculine type yeah. of an environment. Yeah. So how did you handle that? How did it express itself? In my head, I was just like, I don't care. Like, if you have a problem, just say it to my face. But I'm that kind of person that kind of starts the banter in our locker room. So I'm I'm pretty safe. <laughs> like, I can start gay jokes. It doesn't matter. I can start racism joke. I can do every Not racism. That was the wrong word. Like, kind of race jokes if someone knows that I know yeah. that can take that kind of banter. Never do it to someone that I don't know because that's completely wrong, obviously. But yeah, I would be the one that would start 
that stuff. And, and, and that's why I think I've, you know, I've been riding it through pretty, you know, smoothly because since I'm the one that's starting it sometimes, they know that I will not be afraid of the banter. They can say anything. I can say anything. So that's never been, you know, never been a problem for me. Uh, I was just thinking in my head, like, uh, I hope they understand that I, that they can joke with me, that they can say anything. Like, I don't care. I'm there to play football and win stuff. Um, so the locker room thing, it is a big thing for people because people can be sensitive, obviously. Some people are not like me. Uh, so it will be hard for some people. Uh, but, you know, along the ride, it's it's how you get a team together. The locker room experience is very important for a team. If everyone's just going to shut up in a locker room and just look at each other, it's not going to be a good time on the field, obviously. Yeah. It is with the whole experience. But obviously, there's there's a line you have to, like, not you have to be able to know who to joke with you know and you'll get that in a team like please don't make that joke about me it's not nice or something like you know like i feel hurt just be honest but we're all there to play so at the end of the day like screw masculine masculine stuff like you're there to play you're there to have fun if you want to do jokes do it but you have to know where you are and what place you're on the team but from my own experience yes i've had a great time and i'm the banter person in the team so i wouldn't have any problem isn't that part of the problem as well though or mm-hmm. why don't we see because it's i mean let's let's not kid ourselves obviously there is many more mm-hmm. out there so to speak it, and especially in team sports and, mm-hmm. and, and in football in this case so i don't know i'm just wondering isn't that part of the the kind of problem though it is part of in, the problem. in, in a way i mean you have to handle it, really it naturally no. the way you do mm-hmm. but at the same time i'm sure it's it can be quite intimidating Of course it is uh, for people that, you know, are not out or people that, you know, don't have any experience at all from it. Of course, it's going to be a problem. My like version is just that I'm trying to like de like dramatize everything, Mm -hmm. not to like, it's not a problem. Just joke about it, whatever. Let's move on. We're playing football. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for some people, yes, it can be very traumatic and it, it, you know, it could hurt people. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's still a problem, but You know, you can't have like a erase, you know, rubber that's going to take away every word somebody says in there. I think that might create a little bit of bad negativity stuff too, because that is part of everything to joke and stuff. It's so hard to talk about that because some people can take the banter. Some people cannot. Sometimes people think, no, that's just, dis, you know, discriminating. It's, it's, it's awful. And I understand it, obviously. I do. Yeah. It is a problem. It's not a huge huge problem but it is in there as you say of an aspect it, it, it is and uh but my way of you know tackling that is to do my own version to tackle back and just be joking about it or like because when they say stuff i know if they mean it or not Correct. and obviously it's the teammates and and you would know if someone is not joking around or if someone's serious uh but then they would have a problem with you from the beginning Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you and, I, and I guess it. the same thing goes as you in, in, initially we were talking about here with uh, with race mm-hmm. as well, because mm-hmm. it's one of the sort of easiest things to joke about. Mm-hmm. And everybody jokes about that in the in the locker room. But what would be I guess what would be other, uh, so to speak, problems or, or why aren't more people coming out, especially in team environment? Because the reason I mean, in the end of the day, the reason why par- partly we're having this conversation is because this is so prominent mm-hmm. in team sports and soccer and uh, I think I think it's more you know as I see it I think it's more where you're from culture what country I mean who's going to come out in like a country in Africa let's say they're very they have a lot to learn still I think they're very smart in other levels or other subjects but like some people have like same with Middle East some people have you know death sentence for homosexuals how the hell are you going to come out in a country where you get killed obviously that's a big problem but you know Mostly today, I think it's they're afraid of having a starting spot in the team, getting treated the same way, um, you know, getting to other teams, being scouted, sponsors, coaches, audience. Audience is this thing that I always say that they can just, you know, fuck them. Because seriously, they're going to sing about you, whatever you do, the opponent team, whatever you are, whoever you are and whatever you do, they're going to sing something. If they want to sing about your sexuality, let them. You're the one on the pitch making the money and scoring the goals. Like You're there. You're the one on the pitch. But obviously, it's not that easy. But you know, it's a way of working forward. And 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 you know, I feel that yeah, I, I had an idea where you could have like a package where coaches get you know a sort of a um, you know as a new student, and they get like a package where they learn about racism, homophobia, and then that they should tell the kids from the beginning as they coach, like a coaching education deal. 
where they learn these subjects from the beginning to, you know, tell everybody when they grow up as young football players that everything is okay. We're here to play football. That's the only thing. That's one of the ideas that I had before. But coming back to where people don't come out that much, it, that are like those are the main reasons. People are afraid to be treated differently and all those things I said. And I mean, it is true at some places, but as I'm saying, it's slowly, slowly going forward. There's a lot of people that are still working with it. And, and I'm not bragging, but after I came out, I've seen a lot more and I've seen a lot more debates and discussions, which is good. And then we've had a few football players who have come out after uh, Thomas Hitzelsberger. You've got, um, what's the American? Robert Rogers. Robert Rogers. You've had another American player, I believe. Um, so there are players that are, you know, coming out after football, which is, which is good too. But we need highly rated football players today. Um, we've also had, like, what we also need is, like, you know, heterosexual football players that can just say, step out and, hey, I don't give a shit. Like, come play with us. Yeah. What they've done. We've yeah. had my, Matt Jarvis, Phil Jagielka in Everton. We've had the highly profiled football players that say that. And there are a lot of football players that are, you know, gay that play football. And there are a few in the Premier League that we already know about, but they're like anonymous. Mm -hmm. So so I don't know really what they're waiting for. But it is also like this, I believe. If you're a young football player that are talent, that can screw too much with your life because today it's obviously not that common. So I, you know, when you're young, it could be more of a, you know, troubling thing. But I mean, if you are like, let's say, uh, who can I, Coutinho, like you're Aiden Hassar, like you're a highly profiled, good football player that starts. Oh my God, if you come out as a gay football player, people are going to like, oh, that's badass. You're getting a lot of hate, obviously, too. But that's badass, dude. A gay football player that's, you know, that's really good. Come on now. I mean, look at Thomas Hitzelsberg. He was the captain for the German national team. He's won medals. Everyone can play. And, 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 you know, you don't have to love everybody, but you know what? Just put those people at the side and do what you do. Do what you love. Play your football. But those are mainly the reasons why I think most people are afraid. But, you know, just play your game. Do what you got to do. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I agree it would be really badass, you know, if, if one of the big, big names mm -hmm. comes out in that sense and, and encourages. Uh, so the, not the, easy, though. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. No, it's not. But, uh, you know, it is something that we need to actively wor work towards. There and will I think, be I think heterosexual yeah. players also need to step step up to the plate. Absolutely. And, and perhaps even more so in, in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you've had, you know, a couple of ideas on how it can more concretely be tackled in terms of that coaches should have, it, it should be part of the information that they receive so that they exactly. can address that. Because you have coaches that spread hate to people that do that. And, you know, if you have those people that create hate from the beginning, obviously a young person is going to interpret that to a bad thing and it's going to be, it's going to be hate. That's how it is. You grow up with hate, you're going to spread the hate. If you just have a normal, you know, education that says, hey, everything's fine. We're here to play football. It's so easy to just put that into like a package where they can learn. But as you said, yes, just tell them, everyone, like educate people, you know? I guess the opportunity in a way is that Okay, we are such a strong sport, strongest mm -hmm. sport in the world. Mm -hmm. It is a great team environment, typically with a lot of outgoing people. Exactly. That if we were to turn it almost upside down, we could in a way lead the way, mm -hmm. like all the way through the ranks from the professionals to the young. Exactly. Because all of us growing up in team sports, we get so much from it, right? Mm -hmm. We best base the rest of our lives Whatever we end up doing, we base our lives on what we learned in a team environment. Exactly. And what, what better way to bring it out than having that support of 20 other guys exactly. around you who can mm -hmm. keep encouraging you. So, um, But I do think that, that football as a whole uh, needs to have a much, much bigger role uh, in it and in, in driving those mm -hmm. questions forward, both as it comes to homophobia and, and racism and, mm -hmm. and, and all the isms in, in, exactly. in that sense. And sometimes I also feel like I, I've, this is like a stupid thing, but like when, when you talk about racism and people that complain about getting racism, hey, like why do you then hate back on people that are, who are gay? I mean, come on, you're facing the same type of hate. Yeah. Like, Get together. I mean, it's like you're all facing hate. You should be together and not hate on each other. Like, we're all humans. That's one thing I don't get either. Like, I've gotten hate from, like, I always put hate on the other side. I don't let that take my energy. But when I get it from someone like, 
let's say I got it from, let's say an African that get hate for him being black. Why are you hating on me? Like you get just as much hate from racist people. We should go together, get together and fight for our causes. We fight a different battle, of course, but in the end we're fighting for a battle that are against us. So, I mean, we're all humans. We're, we're all the same. We got two eyes. We got two ears. Like we're, we're like girls or boys. It doesn't matter. I don't understand that. So I think we should all just, you know, be together, fight together. Being part of the, I guess, the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. being a, being a public uh, profile, obviously, um, you know, you're very aware of that. Yep. Um, what are some some interesting projects? I mean, you mentioned a little bit, but what are some things that you're working on today? Where, where do you see this going? Where, where do you want to take it? Uh, for today, I don't really know where I would want to take the whole uh, media industry, but I know that I will, you know, kind of be in that kind of environment in the in, in the future because I do like it a lot. I mean, uh, there are many, many chances and, 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 and you know, choices uh, that you have to take and chances that you can get and opportunities out there. So it's, it's a good industry to be in. And I know that it will be around that area somehow. Mm -hmm. So, so, but I'm working with a lot of, you know, TV shows this year. Um, a lot of pitches, nothing that's done yet. And lectures are still going on at schools. So, I mean, there's a lot going on, but there are a few things that will be coming up. No, nothing that I can say because <laughs> they would be pissed off and I would not have any more contracts. I can still ask it because we can edit out uh, whatever yeah. comes afterwards. Uh, I ran into you recently, uh, just a few months ago in, in New York. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. were heading down to Florida to uh, shoot a TV show, I guess, with, with the old, not old, the ex uh, golf, golf superstar, yeah. uh, Jesper Parnovic. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me about that? So I have a friend here in Gothenburg who played for one of the, you know, teams here. It's called Geis. He told me that, first off, how I knew about the family, that they're great. And then their TV show came on, on Channel 3 in Sweden. They're called the Parnaviks. And they just seem like so much fun. Their family's awesome. And then I got an email to my agent uh, from the producer of the show saying, we would like to have Anton on the show. The family knows about him and they've requested him to come over with his dad. So that's how it all started. And, and I was already on my vacation in the U.S. at that time in New Jersey, in New York. So I thought, hey, I'm going to go down to Florida and see how good it is. So that's that's how we did it. And the show is absolutely fantastic. It was so much fun. He is an ex-golf player that, you know, he's extremely, like, wealthy. He has his kids, his wife, in this house by the, you know, waterfront, like an intercoastal waterfront down by Jupiter, Florida close to West Palm Beach, two hours away from Miami. Yeah, you were just having the time of your life. It was a huge mansion, the jet skis, the, the pool, the sand, the jacuzzi, everything. And you just chilled, you had conversations. The whole show is just a reality show where you do things, talk about subjects, and you just hang out, basically. Mm -hmm. So it was one of the best shows I've done. And the family's amazing. It was me, my dad, and Alexander Bard, which is one of the judges in the Swedish Idol. Yeah, so and, it, and one of the most interesting, actually, personalities uh, He's out so there. smart and intellectual yeah. in one way, but the things he talk about is so weird. I did not get anything. He did, like, neoprasmic something. I was like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? <laughs> he went on talking about going to Peru to drink these, like, The drinks. ayahuasca. Yeah, the yeah. drink that you will have these visions and puke and diarrhea for eight hours, and then you'll feel more fresh than ever. And I was like... Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going back to New York tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't really know what he was talking about. It was interesting because he is an intellectual person. Uh, most people could say that he's a wacko, but I don't think so. He's just like a strong personality with a great view of different things. It definitely is. And and for those who who haven't maybe experienced him, and uh, I guess a decent intro is, I think it's back in like 94, 95, mm -hmm. and uh, on, uh, on TV, on one of the national TV channels, he was predicting the internet and where things were heading. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that, you can just check it out on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It's scary how yeah. spot on he was. He was like predictably correct, 100%, like accurate. <laughs> wow, we should listen to him a lot more. Yeah. He completely said how my life would be. He's like, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to be that kind of person. You're going to do that. You're gonna... I'm like, that's like there. I'm to the right of in that. A, in a what, in like in a negative oh. or in a no, positive no, no, no. It was, light? It was or... a funny, positive way, but yeah, he yeah. just said stuff. You'll be like, 
poly something polygamy that's when you like several people i'm like what so he said yeah you can have a relationship with like four to five people around the world that you will love and you will not be with one person and i just sat there i'm like what you don't know me that well you've met me one time and you already say that so he's an interesting person you're quite active on social media with a big following how important is that to you and how do you typically approach the different channels not really i mean just Instagram is more to have fun and just sometimes it's just fun to show off. Like I don't really care, but Facebook is my most important thing because that way I can just talk to people that I have from other countries to stay in contact. So social media in one way, I could just give it up to be like, hey, I can just talk to people more and just get that away. But it helps sometimes with like jobs and connect with new people, show stuff, spread, you know, love or spread stuff that you think is interesting and, you know, stuff that you've experienced, places that you've been to. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can do, but it's not like, oh, without my Instagram, I'm like dead. And and, and Twitter, Twitter's pretty good to me because I can read articles and read other stuff. And I'm very like putting on my feelings there too. I say exactly how I feel. Like if Liverpool loses, I'll say like, you're shit. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> so I mean, it's So it's there's no good. set strategy from, from your management, so to speak, to try to increase that or looking at ways of how you can monetize on it. And In some ways, yes. In some ways, no, I'd say. Uh, I try to do it more, you know, concrete with my agent and more like not through social media that much. They want me to do a blog, but I'm not really a writer. I don't really like to write i could do maybe a video blog and talk because obviously i talk too much but uh, i don't know maybe maybe i mean we all see how footballers are all over like instagram and, mm-hmm. and twitter and i know that some of the older pundits especially in the premier league they're like criticizing that people or players are more concerned about their latest posts than than performing uh on, on the pitch that could be true i mean i've seen I mean, God, Daniel Sturridge, who plays for Liverpool, since I support them so much, I see him with these fancy clothes and cars and everything. I'm like, dude, you're fucking injured every single <laughs> day. Focus on your rehab and stop posting how God is going to help you or how nice these shoes are. Skip that bit and do what you got to do instead because it will irritate people. I'm like, of course, the post is not going to help them to get better or whatnot, but it will irritate people and especially the older ones and especially people that he should look up to. So it can pretty much take away people's souls sometimes. You already mentioned uh, Liverpool. I understand you're yeah. qu- quite a big fan. Massive. I, pro- I probably don't need to ask where, where that comes from since, no, you're, no, no. since you were, uh, you were born there. Yeah. Uh, but w- what does your sort of following of, of Liverpool today express itself as? I mean, it's extremely massive. Every day I read stuff about it, and every and I monitor them every day. All the transfers, the the youngsters, uh, everything. So it's so I got tattoos on it. I have everything. So it's it's like a hobby. Do you have any connection to them with being who you are? Um, we did. I think we did like Liverpool Pride. It's like Gay Pride last year. We did. They did a march with the Liverpool SC team showing that they support all the LGBT, you know, people. Uh, And I had like sayings and quotes and an article in that, which, you know, related Liverpool FC and the whole pride thing. Uh, So that's as much as I've done. And, 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 you know, uh, there will probably be more stuff in the future. Do people still remember your father, and, oh, yeah. and and do you use that to get into the Tanfield? Uh, I I never I never use my dad. I never use my last name. No, never. But yeah, they um they know who he is because it's kind of sad. That's the last time they won the Premier League, uh, eighty nine ninety. So it's been twenty six years ago this year, which is pretty sad. They've been close, but yeah, that's that's how they remember because he was one of the captains at that time. Um, and, and, you know, obviously all those players, Ian Rush, John Aldridge, Steve Nichols, and Bruce Grubler, Ian uh, Barnes, John Barnes, uh, all those players were big profiles at that time, and he was one of them. Um, so people will remember that team because that's the last time they won it. How do you see the team today? Uh, I think it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I personally think that they need to get rid of more than half of the team because it's too mediocre. Uh, the best thing that could have happened is to get Klopp in because Klopp can – you know, change mediocre players into better players, I think. But there's there's yeah, there's a bit of talent in the team, which I like. Um, we got a Serbian youngster now, Marko Grožić, so that's good. Um, but man, like, more than half of the team needs to go. And it's a perfect time now. 
We're he heading towards the end here. Uh, I'll, I'll shoot a few more sort of rapid fire questions. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean you, you can't spend time on, on, on explaining, but. Uh, Just go on. I'll do time. my best. <laughs> um, who's the best player you've seen? Who's the best player? Well, I've seen Ronaldo. So I'd say Ronaldo. I take him over Messi. I like him a lot more too. Who's the best player you played against? Probably, like, I haven't met that many good players on the field because I haven't really gone up that far. But I'd say my brother then because he's obviously been in the national team and stuff like that and scored a lot of goals and, you know, he's a good player. It's no bragging. It's just the only word. This is the only player I could say, honestly, yeah. Uh, what's the most memorable football experience you've had? Uh, I've won the Gothia Cup. That's a good one. I got the best, most valuable player in the state cup thing when you play with your county and your state. They called the Channel Plus Cup when we played. I uh, was the most valuable player. That was a great moment. Um, national team call-up, crazy. Couldn't believe it. Um, I'd say those three. Oh, yeah, we won Division Two. It was a great. Na national team call-up, who was that with? For the Boys 90 when they called us up, and I got to the, you know, I got to six out of eight call-ups. And I was a reserve um, to one of the games versus Ukraine. But it was just great to wear, you know, the jersey and, you know, be able to be one part of the team. The biggest moment in your career beyond football? Probably when I came out. It's a big deal. Um, and, you know, you can't get out of it that you won Dance with the Stars. That's a pretty huge deal. I mean, I can't dance. And then I, I learned to do it and we won it. So that was a good deal, too. You get to have dinner with... Uh with three people in the football world, who would those three be? Uh, where would you take them? And what would the theme of the night be? Oh, that's crazy. Oh, um, Steven Gerrard, definitely. Definitely. Um, I, I can see him. He's probably, probably pretty good at partying. He's no. He's very good at partying. I, I have an incident at the DJ club when he punched, I think it was him or his friends that punched the DJ because they didn't play his song. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Seems like a good time to be with him when you get pissed off that nobody's playing your song. <laughs> so that's good. But yeah, I'd, I'd want to have Steven Gerrard and Xabi Alonso. Who would be the third one? I'd say Jurgen Klopp because he's as crazy as I am. I mean, I love crazy people. And I know everything is Liverpool, but that's the way it's got to be. I'd take them to Cookout. Cookout is a fast food restaurant in North Carolina. <laughs> grab those Cajun burgers and quesadillas and sweet tea. I'd go there with them, and the theme would just be, what would that be? A southern barbecue theme, like just chill out and have a good time. That's what I would do. Do you have anything you would like to recommend? Just be yourself, dude. Just do what you want to do, basically. Sounds like a cliche, but that's how life is. Do what you want to do. Don't, don't really care about what people think and say about you, basically. How can people get hold of you? Well, I have a phone. No, but uh, email, email, definitely. Email, social media. Uh, my email is mika at mikas.se because that's the agency. So it goes straight to her and straight to me. And, you know, Twitter, Anton Heisen, obviously. Anton Heisen official would be the name, I think. Somebody already stole my name. So <laughs> I just had to take that. And then Anton Heisen on Instagram. I have Anton Heisen official page on, on Facebook. So it's it's that way to go who do you think i should interview next on this pod i think you should interview come on go for steven gerrard call him up <laughs> might be hard i know what name to use for that yeah <laughs> <laughs> anton thank you so much thank you for having uh, me. obviously there's a lot a lot of learnings, a lot of inspiration. You are a huge uh, role model, whether you, you wander or, or not, wh I know. <laughs> whether, in, whether intended or I not. I understand, yeah. Um, but, but there's a really positive vibe around it. So mm. uh, thank you again. And thank you. Uh, yeah, we'll see you down the road. We'll, we'll bring you back on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe to it in iTunes or on the podcast app. Please write a review. If you have any feedback or ideas, feel free to email me at sebastian at coffeeandfootball.com. You can also link up with me via Twitter. It's at coffeesfootball. Check out the coffeeandfootball.com website. There you'll find any related content and additional info on each guest. 
This show also lives on SoundCloud and Acast. Thanks again. Stay tuned for next week's episode. It'll go up on Monday or Tuesday. 